You're listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. Welcome to the podcast today. I'm really glad you're listening. My name is Todd Stiles, and I'm the host of Neighbors and Nations, this podcast that's designed to stir within you, within all of us, a heart for missions, both local and global. Well, today my guest is Kim Robinson. He works for the North American Mission Board, and I think you will love his story because it's not your typical story of of a pastor who's working through some things in his church about missions or evangelism. Kim's a businessman, has been his whole life. He currently works for NAM and relates to pastors, but he comes out of the business world. In fact, that's where he came to Christ. And I think you'll enjoy his story. And I think it will show us much about what most of of the members of churches are dealing with and living in when it comes to their work and their world. So this will lean in a lot to just local and personal evangelism. And I think you'll love Kim's story and his insights into both of those. So let's get right to the conversation with Kim Robinson on this episode of Neighbors and Nations. Well, welcome to our podcast today, Neighbors and Nations, and I'm thrilled to have Kim Robinson as our guest today. Kim, welcome today. Hi, Pastor Todd. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. I'm really, uh, I'm just pumped about our our people, our listeners, hearing your story, mainly of how you came to Christ and how that will lean in to help us understand evangelism to our neighbors in a better degree. So, first of all, just tell us maybe uh, what you do right now currently. You mind? Uh, sure. I'm executive director of pastor relations at the North American Mission Board. I've been there about six years. In my role, I manage a team of 26 staff members, seven NAM staff, and 19 current or recently retired pastors. Now, their role is to build prayerful relationships with SBC pastors and to love them unconditionally. Together as a team, we minister to about 2,864 pastors across all 42 state conventions, including Puerto Rico. And then I personally have relationships with 137 pastors, 36 of them from Iowa. Well, that's a spider web, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I got to tell you, it's a true blessing. Uh, When you get to know the heart of a pastor and they open up and share their challenges and struggles and you pray together, there's something about the gospel that knits your hearts together. And I'm truly blessed to be in this ministerial role. Hey, Amen. I love to hear that. I know we've had some talks exactly in line with what you're saying. And uh, thank you for just pastoring pastors and for praying for me personally. It means a lot. It really does. I've been encouraged by our conversations. So that's what you do currently. And I think you live in the Atlanta area, correct? Yes, I do. Uh, it's in a town called Johns Creek. It's uh, in northern Atlanta next to our office, which is in Alpharetta, Georgia. Sure. But before this, you were actually in business, right? Yes, I was. Uh, I had quite a long business career. I'll give it to you in three different chunks, okay? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. For 29 years, I worked at Procter & Gamble. I started in the paper products division in 1977 and ended my career in 2010. Uh, My last 10 years as a 
Vice President in Customer Business Development. Now at P&G, I had sales responsibility and I traveled around the globe to over 35 countries to train and develop salespeople and manage customers. At one time, I was a team leader there for Walmart Stores US and I was responsible for $8 billion in annual sales. Uh, now, what I was at Procter & Gamble two different times. Uh, in between those times, I spent four years at General Electric. At General Electric, I was a general manager of factory service, and that's where I led about 40 zone managers and 800 technicians, and they were responsible for uh, GE appliance repairs for washers, dryers, and refrigerators, et cetera. And then after that part of my business career, I was president and CEO of the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center. That's a museum in Cincinnati. If you ever see an aerial view of downtown Cincinnati, it sits right between the Bengal Stadium and the Red Stadium, right on the river. Oh, okay. The mission of the Freedom Center was to tell the story of freedom's heroes from the Underground Railroad to inspire people to take courageous steps for freedom today. And the biggest part of our mission was to fight contemporary slavery issues around the world. That's a pretty distinguished career. That's a lot of years. Um, wow, you've done a lot of different things, no doubt. I, I really have been blessed. I started out selling Charmin displays to grocery stores <laughs> up and down the street. So I was a professional Mr. Whipple. Well, I tell you, in this certain situation we're in right now, you would have been a very popular man. <laughs> now, tell me something. You weren't always, though, a Christian businessman, were you? Absolutely not. I was far from it, in fact. So this is where I'm most interested. You just were a businessman making money, doing a good job, I'm sure, and uh, setting your sights on a career. And somewhere in there, God got a hold of you through, I guess, a friend or somehow just local uh, evangelism. Tell me more about how that occurred. I'd love to hear that story. Our listeners. Okay. okay. I think my story begins in Philippians 2, 3, where the Bible says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others as more important than yourselves. I was the opposite of that. Hmm. I was determined to get rich, become famous, make a name for myself. Ultimately, my goal was to become the first African-American CEO of Procter & Gamble. Really? And I took off on my career willing and regularly stepping on and over people to get what I wanted. Wow. And um, it actually was a plan and a process that worked well for me early in my career. I was a hard worker and I was doing fantastic. But about five years into my career, I got a big promotion, moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, and that's when my troubles began. So you were how old at this point? I was in my mid to late 20s. And you're in Cincinnati and your troubles began? Yes. My troubles began because uh, when I moved my wife and me to Cincinnati, uh, I was very neglectful of her and her needs. Um, frankly, I tell people I had a mistress and her name was Procter & Gamble because that's all I really cared about. That was my meal ticket to get ahead, to get rich. And I didn't care how much time I gave her and it really hurt my wife. Now, prior to that, we lived in St. Louis and Kansas City 
which were my hometown and her hometown. So there were plenty, plenty of friends and family and neighbors that she could get involved in. But when I moved her to Cincinnati, it was like a foreign land. Mm. And uh, it was one ominous Saturday night. She grabbed our one-year-old baby out of the crib, headed for the front door and said, I can't live with you any longer. Wow. She was that brokenhearted. Oh, I stopped her at the door and said, hey, let's talk this over. I don't want this to end our marriage. And so she put the baby back in the crib and we stayed up a large part of that night just talking. It was she who said to me, Kim, something is missing in our relationship. And I think it's God. And Pastor, very naively, I said, let's go find God. <laughs> he was actually looking for you, wasn't he? <laughs> that is correct. I didn't realize it doctrinally, but he was in search of us. Wow. About that time, there was a friend of mine at work. His name is Steve Sessler. Steve and I had the same job. We were associates. We had the same boss. We were the same age. And uh, we played on the same uh, rec basketball league, and we worked in junior achievement together. So he started becoming a close friend of mine. There's something about his life that was totally different than mine. And so one day I asked Steve, man, what is it that makes you so joyful? And he looked me in the eye and he said, Kim, it's the power of Jesus Christ working in my life. So he was that clear and concise on the first question. I'll never forget it. It was so profound to me. Now, my first reaction was, oh, no, it's a, he's a Jesus freak. I wasn't prepared for that. But think about it. His testimony was so powerful to me. I wanted to find out more. Did, you, so I, yeah. did, he, did he know that you were struggling? I think he knew it. I, and I really believe that, although this is a, a modern day thing with who's your one, I think Steve said his mind that I was his one. Oh, wow, I think great. he befriended me. I think he prayed for me. I think he became my friend. He loved me. And that drew me to him. And so I am convinced. In fact, we talked about that. And that is what happened. Well, that's, that's incredible. Well, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that's, that's great. Well, Steve uh, convinced me to and Tammy to start reading the Bible. We would read one chapter a day, and then I would go to work and talk to him about what I read, and he would help me interpret and understand. He also invited me and Tammy to his church. It was an evangelical free church, and uh, we didn't go all the time, but when we went, we enjoyed it, and we got to hear a clear articulation of the gospel. Now, this was back in 1983 in the fall, and by the spring of 1984, Tammy and I really became to understand the gospel and our need for a savior, but neither one of us had accepted Christ until Tammy made an important trip to St. Louis to visit family. Actually, what was going on there, now we understand was spiritual warfare, but it turned out to be a disastrous trip. <laughs> and she was brokenhearted. Isn't it amazing what, uh, what hindsight gives to you? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it, it is amazing. You can see it much more clearly. On the way back, to Cincinnati, she was driving and was listening to Jay Vernon McGee on the radio. Jay Vernon McGee gave an invitation for her to accept Jesus, and she pulled off on the side of the road somewhere near Indianapolis and gave her life to Christ. Wow. 
That's a everybody that's talks cool. about the road to Damascus. We talk about on the road to Cincinnati. <laughs> so uh, at that time, we didn't have cell phones, and so um, I didn't know about all this until she came home. I was prepared for her to be in anguish, crying, tearful. And she came in joyful and full of the Holy Ghost. And I didn't know what to, how to interpret all that. <laughs> it was a powerful moment. Well, Tammy, in her newfound faith, started going to work and sharing Jesus with all of her friends. And before you know it, she had a group of women coming to my house, laying hands on my furniture and praying for my soul. Now, that, I don't think that's a biblical construct, <laughs> but God certainly used it to get my attention. What's more important is I saw how God had changed Tammy dramatically. Wow, for sure. She, uh, she grew up in the hardcore inner city of St. Louis, and she could get a little rough with her words that, at the drop of a hat. God took all that away from her. And one day, one of her friends named Libby stopped me during one of these prayer sessions. And she said, Kim, you know, Tammy's going to leave you because she's a believer. And so later that night, I asked Tammy, are you going to leave me now that you're a Christian? She said, no, but I want you to know you'll never prevent me from being close to my Savior. Now, Libby, her, her theology was wrong. <laughs> But it sure got my attention again. <laughs> <laughs> so it became very clear. I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that my life was broken and useless, and I was wasting it away without Jesus. And I saw the dramatic impact that Jesus made in Tammy's life. So about a, about a month after Tammy accepted the Lord, in the privacy of my bedroom, I got on my knees and prayed Jesus in my heart. Wow. And uh, this whole time, you and Steve are still, I guess, talking at times or connecting. Yeah, we were connecting regularly. Every day, uh, I would read something in the Bible, and we talk about it at work. So it was a period of several months of pretty intense but fun discipleship and training. So when I hear your story, I think about that verse that says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Like God was just drawing you over a period of months through so many different ways as Jesus was lifted up and you came, didn't you? It's, it's just, it's profound. You know, I, I tell people that as I look back on my life before I was saved, it was as if I was in an Indianapolis 500 race car, speeding uncontrollably to a brick wall and no brakes. Wow. I was going to crash and that was my life. But God miraculously saved me, got me out of the car, took over the wheel of my life, and has completely changed me. Man, I love that story. Thanks for sharing that. That's, uh, that's so, um, man, it's just motivating. But let me ask you a couple of questions mm -hmm. about that. Speak, first of all, to the spouse who's got an unsaved spouse. Yeah, speak to those right now. That's fantastic that you asked me that. I told you that Philippians 2, 3 was the beginning of my story. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2 is really the end of my story. In the, that verse, the Bible says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. 
And it was the power of Tammy's testimony that really won me to the Lord. Now, I will say this, that doesn't always happen immediately. Sometimes it takes years and years. And so uh, my heart goes out to women that are living with an unsaved husband, so to speak, or uh, a man who's living with an unsaved wife. But I believe that God's word is true and Amen. it does not go void. And that uh, with uh, God's grace, he can bring that about in your life as well. And you're saying that those actions are the first and primary thing they should focus on. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting because when I, I asked Tammy, remember part of my story, I asked Tammy, are you going to leave me? She didn't say anything about what I was like, who I was, how I needed to change. What she said was she professed her deep and abiding love in Jesus. Wow. And that that was the first and foremost thing in her life. And as long as I didn't prevent her from doing that, we were going to be fine. I just think it speaks of the grace uh, that she showed me and why it was such a powerful uh, influence in my life. Speak to the businessman for a moment who works with a number of folks who probably aren't saved, but has a heart for them like Steve did for you. Speak to that businessman about that situation. Well, I think there were several things that happened in my situation that applied to us. First, Steve became my friend before he witnessed to me. And I would tell people, befriend unbelievers and demonstrate the love of Christ in your relationship with them. That's how they can begin to see and understand Christ is through your Christ-like love. Second, I am convinced, and I've confirmed this, that Steve prayed for me before he ever approached me about Jesus. Amen. That way back in 1983, I was his one. And I would encourage you to pray for your one and ask God to open up doors for gospel conversations. Yeah. Number three, have an authentic faith. Be winsome, caring, and loving. People will notice the difference that Jesus makes in your life daily, and they will be drawn and attracted to that. And then finally, fourthly, I'd say live a life of faith and not fear. Be joyful rather than judgmental and be positive and not pessimistic. Mm. And you will have an impact on people in your workplace. So, Kim, have you ever pastored? No, I've not pastored. Okay, because that was a four-point sermon, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to preach that sometime. I, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. It, it's interesting. Um, along the way, I thought maybe I was being called because Tammy and I were so, fer so fervent about our newfound faith. Uh, but I was uh, pretty far along, uh, and uh, I went to a couple of pastor friends and asked them, and what they told me was interesting. They said, Kim, it's kind of late for you to start going to seminary and doing this and doing that. But there is a need for Aquila and Priscilla in every church. And God has gifted you to take the gospel into the boardrooms and in the, the people that you meet. And that's your ministry. And um, so I took it seriously. And uh, I, can I tell a quick story? Of course you can. That's why we're here. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. All right. At one point in time, when I uh, left PNG, remember I had two different times at PNG. <clears throat> the first time I left and I went to General Electric. Well, I was being recruited by a headhunter, 
And through my various interviews, I had a one-on-one alone with Jack Welch in his office. And I felt that God was testing me about my faith. If I was willing to share Jesus with, at the time, the most powerful man in the business world, that maybe I wouldn't get the job, but that was an important test. And so during my interview with Jack, I shared my faith in Jesus and shared with him um, that uh, the Jesus was Lord of my life and the most important thing in my life. And um, it was interesting. He did not have a good reaction to it. He just looked me in the eye and said, oh, that's interesting. Now let's move on. He didn't want to have anything to do. But after that, Pastor, I didn't care whether I got the job. I felt like God had tested me. I had proven that I was worthy and willing to share the gospel under any circumstance. And it was an important step in my growth as a believer. That's fantastic. And, you know, that story speaks, in my opinion, against so much of what we hear today when folks say, well, I'm fearful or I don't want to offend someone or I've got to wait for the right time. I think what you're saying is, that every time will seem like it's the wrong time, probably. It's always going to take some courage. It's always going to seem like a test. And you've always got to kind of cross the threshold and just uh, sometimes share the news, right? I totally agree with that. In fact, uh, there are several things that hinder most Americans from sharing their faith and being actively involved in personal evangelism. I think the first thing is fear of rejection. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think we have to remind ourselves that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. That's not my job. My job is to share the good news. So I'm not responsible for the outcome. And that's something we need to remind ourselves of. Second, I think some people are just unsure how to approach it. And you know, there are plenty of aids available, like the best news, three circles, the four spiritual laws, or the Romans road, or just share what Jesus has done in your life. Amen. Yeah, that's, 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 that's excellent. Is that kind of maybe what changed the most about you when you became a Christian businessman? Was it you know, the way you interacted with people then? Or what really changed once you came to Christ, but you stayed in the business world? I think my uh, world vision, my, my worldview changed completely. Um, I went to a training session at Procter & Gamble called Leadership and Mastery. is for senior managers, took all senior managers through it globally. And that was back in the late 80s when vision, mission, strategy was the hot thing. And uh, I was really intrigued by that. And I went home and I shared the methodology with Tammy. And I said, you know, maybe we ought to write a, a, a vision or a mission for ourselves, for, for our life as believers. And we did so. And so we tried to put on paper what, um, what, what our vision was and what our mission was. And if you take the time to write it down and you try to be intentional about living it, it really helps be a guidepost to you in your walk with Christ. Mm-hmm. It really does. So your business became really not the main thing you were doing. It became an avenue, I guess, for you to accomplish <clears throat> God's will. I became a minister of the gospel, and my, uh, my workplace was the corporation Amen. and the people that I came in contact with. That was my mission field. Well, I got to tell you, I don't know you real well, but in the little interaction I've had over the past several months, you have not lost your fervency at all. 
well, so man, that's a, I'm really proud of you for that, Kim. Well, I appreciate that, but I give God all the glory and I still have a long way to go, but I, I remember what it was like before I was saved. I was totally lost, confused, selfish, uh, full of selfish ambition. And when you are that way, you really don't have an inner peace and an inner joy. Mm. And the contentment uh, that we have as believers in Christ is priceless. And so I, I think maybe some believers forget that just the incredible gift that we have, the confidence that we have in the gospel, the, the, the fact that we know the end and Jesus wins and we win and we'll be with him in heaven forever. Oh my goodness. You, you just can't underestimate the power of that in your life. Amen. So before I ask you our final question, I want to ask you this one first. Uh, your story really is one of just evangelism locally. It's a neighbor story totally. And to be frank with you, the neighbor that was most influential was your wife. I mean, just yes. how God used the closest people to you. So you weren't going to a farm field. You didn't have a farm field missionary come to you. It was just really local. Talk to um, our pastors, uh, which you talk to a lot of pastors, I know, but this uh, podcast has a lot of pastors who listen. Talk to those pastors about local evangelism, because I think a lot of us uh, are trying to hold two things in our hands. We try to hold foreign missions well and local evangelism well. Sometimes we don't do that task great. So help us with the task of local evangelism. What would you say to pastors about that? I think I'd say several things. Uh, we don't do this as much in our churches as we used to, but when I was uh, young as a believer in Christ, we used to share testimonies. And I think allowing your people to share testimony is just a real powerful tool to remind them of who they are, what they have in Christ, and that that story is worth sharing with other people. Two, I would ask pastors to be aware of what some of the needs are physically and spiritually in the shadow of their steeple. Sex trafficking can be going on two blocks from your church. Sometimes you just have to open your eyes to it. Uh, there are people that need meals, elderly that need care for. So look for the opportunities to serve people locally. And then as you serve and love on people, you share with them the reason for the hope that's within you. That's Jesus. And that, think about it, that is the essence of what sin relief is. Find a need, meet the need, and share Jesus while you're ministering to the need. Mm -hmm. You know, your wife's story is intriguing as well because it relates to a thing that we're dealing with in this current time. And But your wife came to Christ on the medium of, uh, of the radio. And I know currently, you know, most of our churches aren't meeting in their facilities for a few more weeks. We're probably doing a lot of live streaming. Maybe some are utilizing radio, but it's kind of the same medium of the, of the media in some digital fashion. And yet, and I had to struggle with this, you know, thinking, man, I guess our outreach is not as strong. Uh, we're not seeing the people, but man, your wife came to Christ over a radio broadcast. Absolutely. And in fact, Pastor, I think this current inability of the church to meet is a tremendous opportunity. Amen. Uh, I heard a pastor just yesterday um, talk about uh, how people in his church could give different ways because you're not able to do it during the worship service. 
Well, one of the things he did, he told a friend of his who he had invited to church several times. He wouldn't come. He told him about the podcast in the comfort and privacy of his home. He tuned into the broadcast and now they're having spiritual conversations they have never had before. God created that door. He opened that door and created that opportunity. And there are opportunities out there. Most of the pastors that I've talked to, as they look at the analytics who's listening to the podcast, more people are listening than attend on Sunday morning. And I just think that creates a tremendous opportunity. I love your attitude. I think the more folks realize that the church shines in times of crisis, that's when historically even, that's when the church has done its best work. And that's when God proves that he's in control after all. Amen. I had one pastor, he's preaching on this, uh, and he said, the church can st- can scatter, but it cannot be stopped. Mm. Yeah, and we that should is, be that, scattering. That is right. That is such a biblical principle, and we see it evident all over the book of Acts. Yeah. Well, one last question for you. I ask all of our guests this. Love to hear what you think about this. What's one thing you'd love to see God do before you die? Pastor, I'm going to give you two answers because there's two things. Uh, for me, one. I'd like to see the church grow, the multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational church to the glory of God in its holy name. Only the gospel has the power to cut across racial, ethnic, economic, and geographic lines to truly unite the church as one body in Christ in love. And this is our greatest witness to the world, our love for one another. So I would like to see God make uh, bring that about in dynamic ways in our Amen. churches. The second, I'd like to see all my grandchildren and hopefully my great-grandchildren walk in the faith. Third John 1, 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And what a joy that is for my three children who are all walking with the Lord, even more so my grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Yeah, I love your heart for a legacy. Amen, Kim. Hey, thank you for joining us today. It's really it's been, been fun my, talking to you. It's certainly been my joy and my pleasure. And I thank you so much for your podcast and how you're encouraging and blessing pastors. It's a joy to do so. Yeah. Is there any certain way that if someone wanted to chat with you further, ask a question or hear maybe more of you, is there a, I don't want you to give out any personal information unnecessarily, but is there a <clears throat> website or any kind of place they can connect and hear more about you? Uh, you can just call uh, Nam and okay. ask uh, to speak to me, and I'll I'll talk to you. Okay, so that's the North American Mission Board. Mission Board, and our our website is uh, nam.net. All the information on how to call the the uh, the office and just talk to me. I'm glad to talk to anybody, any pastor for sure. For sure, and I can attest that Kim's telling you the the God honest truth, man. He'll talk to you. He's accessible and easy to reach. So, Kim, thank you so much. Love your story. Thanks for encouraging the folks on today's podcast. Thank you so much, Pastor. Be blessed. Thanks for listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. To learn more about how to support this podcast and our partners, go to toddstyles.net slash podcast. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe in your favorite podcasting app.